the reason why I think Daniel has a lot to say to us is because it is a picture of faithfulness during a season of Israel's history where it wasn't easy to be faithful. Daniel is a book that takes place during the period of exile after Babylon sacked Jerusalem and destroyed their temple. And the exile was supposed to be a form of judgment for Israel's idolatry and disobedience. And yet, even though they were living in a season under God's judgment through exile, Daniel shows us that God can still be gracious in the midst of judgment. And so as we look at this first chapter, uh, basically, I just want to draw your attention to a phrase that comes up three times. And that phrase is the Lord gave or God gave. Uh, in the opening two verses, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Now, these verses are simply explaining the events that led to Israel's exile. But theologically, I think it is saying more than that. It is telling us that God is the one who is in control, even when things seem to be out of control. Now, the Bible is consistent in giving an explanation for these unfavorable times of Israel during their exile. And it doesn't say that Babylon had the best military or the best economy or uh, anything of that nature as a reason for why Israel fell to them. But it always tells us that God is the one who orchestrated these things to happen like that. And verse 2 is no different in that it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, that would have been a significant point for the ancient readers, because in the ancient world, after a nation conquers another nation, one of the common practices is to defile uh, the temple and that nation uh, of that nation and place uh, basically an image of their own gods in the temple as a way of saying, my God defeated your God. Uh, my God has more control than your God. So if you're an Israelite and you've just seen the Babylonians put a statue of their God, Marduk, in your sacred temple, then it sends a message saying, hey, Marduk is much more powerful and in control uh, over the God of Israel. And that's what it looks like on the surface. But in actuality, God was using Babylon to execute his will, which at the time was judgment against Israel for idolatry. I know there are all kinds of maybe pastoral questions or concerns when it comes to suffering and hardship as it relates to what you know theologians call the sovereignty of God, meaning uh, the fact that God is in control of all things. And we can have all kinds of questions related to that. And in a season of COVID-19, we may have had, had that thought. If God is in control of all things, why would he allow bad things to happen like this virus? And that's, you know, that's what some of the laments in the Bible are wrestling with. They're saying, God, why aren't you delivering us? Where are you? Why does it seem like you're absent? Uh, if you are in control, if you are loving, uh, why aren't you hearing my prayers? And we saw some of those laments in the book of Lamentations. But at the same time, the fact that God is in control when things seem out of control can uh, serve as a deep source of comfort because it means we can appeal to one who can do something about it. You see, if God weren't in control, then we couldn't even pray or express our laments. What would be the point? And maybe that's why you know, some of us may struggle with prayer in times such as these. But if God is in control, then we can at least appeal to God in prayer and ask him to show us favor, which leads to the second point. In verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And this tells us that God gives favor even in unfavorable situations. 
So you have the Babylonians, and they would try to get the Israelites to assimilate into Babylonian life. And assimilation is one of the ways you destroy a people, or you conquer a people, or you take over a people. And the danger of enslaving a people is that they might cause more problems. They might constantly try to escape, or they might eventually revolt, which is going to cost the empire more time and resources. And so, uh, at least according to Babylon, the best strategy is to force a people to assimilate into Babylonian culture. You indoctrinate them with Babylonian language and views. And that's the reason why Daniel and his friends were educated for three years and why the king gave them non-Jewish names. Now, one of the ways God shows them favor, it actually has to do with food. The king would give them a daily portion of food and wine to eat and drink. And the point is not that the king is being generous, but the king probably wants Daniel to defile himself. Judaism had these dietary laws, and it's likely that if Daniel had eaten the king's food, then he would have compromised his Jewish faith in some way. So here's a dilemma. If Daniel eats the food, he defiles himself. If he doesn't eat the food, then the king's eunuch might take that as an insult and harm Daniel. So verse 9 tells us that God gives Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel makes a deal and says, look, test me for 10 days by giving me just vegetables and water. And if we don't look healthy before the king, then you can do with me whatever you'd like to do. And that's, I think that's where the idea of the Daniel fast comes from. So the king's eunuch listens to them on this matter and tests them for 10 days. And after 10 days, something amazing happens. Verse 15 says they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all youths who ate the king's food. Now, by the way, uh, I should point out a cultural disconnect here. In our culture, we look at being fat as a negative, but many of, you know, many of us are probably trying to lose weight in order to look better in appearance. But, you know, in the ancient world, being fat was actually a good thing. It was a sign of blessing. It means you had plenty to eat. It meant you were blessed in life. So when the circumstances were unfavorable, God gave favor to Daniel in very unexpected ways. And finally, in verse 17, it says this, that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And we've already seen that Daniel and his friends were educated in Babylon for three years, and we might think that maybe this was wasted time. However, God actually used Daniel's Babylonian education to equip him to have a somewhat successful career, even as a Jewish exile. First, uh, he would be promoted by the king because he had superior skills than other people in the area of wisdom and understanding. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar shows respect and pays homage to Daniel for his superior abilities. And this allows Daniel to make a request that his friends be appointed over the affairs of the province in Babylon. And that's a pretty remarkable position for a Jewish exile to be in. And second, Daniel achieved longevity. The last verse in our passage says Daniel was there until King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the Persian king, which means Daniel endured all the, uh, all the kings that uh, came and went and all the power shifts that happened during the course of his life. And he outlasted all these kings. Now, why was Daniel so successful? Our temptation is probably to look at the story like this, a story like this and think, well, Daniel was successful because he was an exceptional human being. Uh, he was a very savvy person who was able to use his gifts to position himself in a great position. Uh, but that's why I thought it was important to really frame this story and this narrative around the phrase, God gave. You see, everything is orchestrated by God and given out of his gracious character and oftentimes even in unexpected ways. 
So to put it all together, we can say that God is in control when things seem out of control, and he gives favor even in unfavorable times in order to equip his people in unexpected ways to serve his kingdom. Now, that's encouraging to hear, I think, because, you know, during this pandemic, we are certainly not in control, and this pand pandemic has certainly produced unfavorable circumstances. And as I said, you know, I, I think I kind of hit a wall this week of like, uh, man, I'm so tired of being at home, and uh, it just seems like uh, a, a wasted season because we're not doing as good of a job in all of our areas of life that we're used to doing. And so uh, I know for those of you with children, uh, it's probably easy to feel as though you're not doing a great job in many areas because you have to work from home, but working from home is much harder when uh, there's kids at home. And so you're like, I'm not, I'm not doing great work as I used to. Uh, not only that, but uh, you're also now responsible for educating your children and uh, you don't feel like you're doing a great job in that as well. Not only that, but there's just so much more to do in terms of chores and being at home all the time means you have to cook more and clean more and sometimes you just get tired and you don't want to make a nutritious meal. And so what you do is you microwave some udon noodles and then you start to think, oh man, I'm not being a great parent. And then I'm sure many of you are losing patience with your children and uh, you've uh, yelled at them or lashed out at them in some ways. And after that happens, you feel bad about it and you're saying, wow, I'm just not doing a great job. And I would say probably even when it comes to spiritual practices like prayer and reading the word, maybe you feel like you're not doing great there either. It's just hard to find quiet time to pray or to read your Bible. Maybe you used to do it on your commute on the way to work or coming back home and now you don't have that and now you don't even have the energy or desire to engage in some of these things. And so we ask, is, are these unfavorable times? Well, certainly they are unfavorable times, but as we learn from Daniel, God can show us favor in these unfavorable times. He showed favor to Daniel. Da Daniel didn't know what was going to happen or how God would use his exilic experience and his several years of Babylonian education. All Daniel tried to do was he tried to be faithful, especially when there was a lot of temptation to be unfaithful and to forget about the Lord. And eventually what happened is Daniel realized God had equipped him for something that he didn't anticipate and his life as an exile, so to speak, was somewhat redeemed. Now, if you read the Old Testament narratives, you realize that God's people are the feature character in his narratives. Obviously, outside of God himself, but outside of God, Israel, his people, uh, play a central role or are the central character. So if we interpreted history without God... Uh, historians would probably say Babylon overtook Israel because they were stronger and better and they positioned themselves better and they had better military strategy or whatever it may be. Persia took over after that because they became stronger and they were savvier in various ways. In the Bible, those kingdoms are actually not the featured character. Israel is always the featured character. God orchestrates all these other nations and kingdoms in order to serve his purposes for his people. Now, if that's true, then perhaps God is doing, orchestrating things for the purposes of his people today, or namely for his church today. Uh, it could be, it's possible, maybe it's a judgment upon the church, maybe it's a way to purify the church, maybe it's a way to renew the church, maybe it's a way to equip the church better in, to engage in mission, 
Uh, you know, I don't really know why God would allow certain things to happen, but I do believe he works for the good of those who love him, all things for the good of those who love him, as Paul says in Romans 8. And therefore, although it may seem like this is a season of waste or a season where, um, you know, we're just not as fruitful or productive as uh, we want to be, uh, this season is probably not a season of waste. Perhaps God simply wants us to be faithful to him in a time of famine or pandemic or eating only vegetables, and God's favor will bear fruit when it seemed like fruit was impossible. I know that may sound like wishful thinking if it weren't for one simple thing. God has already given us something more precious and more valuable than anything we could ever imagine. According to John 3.16, a very famous verse, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his son over to death and over to exile on a cross so that we might be given life and so that we might have a home with the Lord. God has given us eternal favor through his son and his desire and will is not to diminish his people, but it is to equip his people to do the works of ministry. He has prepared us for, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, um, works that were prepared beforehand. So the logic goes like this, according to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's why it's not mere wishful thinking to think that God's desire is to fill us during this famine, to raise us up during exile, to equip us even during this pandemic. Now, equip us for what? I don't know. I don't know. But he may be equipping us for something. See, some people uh, have already surmised and been trying to think about how God is changing and equipping churches through this pandemic. And, you know, for example, I saw one author named Alan Hirsch, and he says this. He says, to master chess, remove the queen, and you'll learn what all the pieces do. Sunday services are like the church's queen. We struggle to imagine doing anything without it. Evangelism, community, teaching, etc. The queen's out for now. Can we relearn how to be the church in all of its forms? Uh, another writer thinks this pandemic is God's way of dismantling the God of mammon. You know who said that? Pastor John actually said that. He wrote this article that's published on a website. Uh, I forgot what the website is. Mirror Orthodoxy, I think, .com. Uh, and, you know, many of you know him because he planted this church, but he wrote an article, and this is what he says in that article. He says, the economy has stalled, shops have closed, and the markets have plunged. Mammon is down for the counts. Uh, what we could not do, God has done through an invisible pathogen. We have an opportunity now to reimagine the world. When COVID-19 passes, and it will pass, God may give us a chance to reshape our priorities and society. Now, of course, this is certainly a time for uh, lament and grief. Uh, especially with all the losses that are taking place, uh, namely the loss of life, but you know, also the loss of other things, loss of uh, employment and loss of security and things of that nature. But you know, God's pattern is to work most powerfully through suffering, through loss, and through weakness. Uh, we certainly feel all of those things, which is why this may be a season where God wants to purify us, where God wants to reform us, where God wants to equip us to be the people of God when this pandemic is over. And so, um, you know, 
we don't know what the future is going to be like, um, but I think we can say God will not waste this time and God will not waste this season. And just as Fred shared before, um, the hope is when we are able to gather together, uh, what a wonderful thing it would be to have maybe our perspectives uh, broadened and our priorities um, reoriented around who God is and what he desires of us. And maybe uh, God has a season, um, is preparing for a season after uh, this pandemic season is over and uh, where mourning will turn into great joy and dancing and revival. Let's pray together.